Hi, Matt McDonough. You know, there are times when you're out there looking for the most perfect podcast for you. And I'm here to let you know that you don't have to look anymore. There's a special podcast network out there called the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. They've got everything you could possibly ever look for in a podcast. Everything. So, if you're looking for something to fill your ear holes, or just something nice to listen to, head on over to tangentboundnetwork.com. Click on the channels link, and go ahead, listen to your heart's content. Here at Tangent Bound Network, we'll leave the mics on for you. Hey guys, this is Enrica Jang with Red Stylo Media, and you are listening to Adrian King and Adrian Has Issues. This is kind of a big deal to me because it's like, this is the first time we are technically doing this show, even though it's not really all that different. Hey, this is going to be one of the first times us talking goes up on the internet. <laughs> well, that was going to be Bad my internet. opening where I would just be like, hey, guys, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. And I'm Adrian. And today I'm speaking to a guy who I've spoken to every week for the past two years and yet. Only five of those recordings ever went up hey, on a... Hey, it's 10-ish. No, it's 10. It's totally 10. Might even be 12, but it's more than Oh, wait, five. did we get to 10 episodes? Oh, yeah. That's not good. Then that means I know less about our own podcast than I thought. I auto-set a whole bunch to post, and then I had a kid, and, well, editing time went out the window. I just imagine, like, the day that Evie was born, like, you're looking at your laptop, you're looking at your daughter, and it's like, one of these can be pitched out a window, and it won't be illegal. <laughs> But no, I'm going to intro you because okay. this is cool. I don't know. Where do I start? Do I have to tell you where you start everything? Okay. Well, you kind of started it because you did say welcome to Adrian has issues. You did say that. Okay. I did say that. Um, We got that out of the way. But I was going to be like, oh, hey, today's guest is um my best friend of 15 years. I thought that meant something. Can I try to do the intro? You know, this way I can warm up for so when you die, I can take the show. All right. Wait, you're going to intro yourself. Why not? I think I can do a better job than you. I'm going to step aside here. You have the floor. Go on. See if this works. All right. So I'm welcome to Adrian has issues. This is Will. I am stepping in for Adrian who caught a nasty case of chlamydia and we're here. Wait, wait, time. No, cut. What? Why is it chlamydia? I don't know. Because it's the first one that came to my head. But see, you see, that, that had energy. That had pop. That brings people in. I don't know. I died eating, like, the world's most rancid, like, slice of pizza or something. Like, a death that seems more fitting to me. I mean, the Clivia maybe not. I don't know. I don't want to get into all that, but. I don't know. Like I said, it's the first thing that came to my head. All right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to steamroll over your intro. No, I, th- uh, I, I think I proved my point. It had pop. It had energy. It was exciting. You know? All right. None of this monodrome thinging. Anyway, get back. Tell me how great I am. But yeah, like, I mean, obviously I've known you for what? It's been 15 now? We met halfway through high school. Yeah, it was like junior year, I think. So I've known you about half my life. And that's not depressing at all. More than half your life because you're older than me. But only by like a year. I was going to say you, you're going to die first. But well, I think we both knew that regardless of how old either of us were. You know, considering the fact that I kind of had the same discussion with my girlfriend uh, not too long ago, uh... Not a good look. I think that's your loved one's passive-aggressive way of telling you something. Seems to be the way that usually works, but, um, yeah, um, but, yeah, uh, shit. Now, see, now I'm lost. Now you've derailed the show with my so chlamydia. It's for 15 years. And then you did a bunch of stuff, and then decided to make a podcast called Ignoring Movies, where... We do this very same thing every week, but yet there's usually a movie that we're half paying attention to. And, well, since Will was all like, well, I don't want to confuse everybody and make it a crossover, so I'm just going to be on your show, and I have no idea what the hell's going on. Will Umhofer, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. That's that's who you are. Will, welcome to the show, man. Wow, that was... How do you not get more guests? With intros like that, people have to be lining up. <laughs> I don't know. You threw me all off. I had this intro and you were like, let's roll into the show. But I'm like, well, maybe I wanted to make it a little bit more you said you didn't. cool. That it- you said you didn't have an intro. 
You said you didn't know how we were going to get started. I think that's on the recording. I would have been like, hey, I don't have an intro, but I am going to make one up as I go along. That's all I was saying to do. Oh, people are going to think I'm mean. And you're not. Well, but I mean in that fun way, like the way that Oscar the Grouch is mean. No one really hates Oscar the Grouch. At the end of the day, everyone still wants to hug Oscar the Grouch. I don't think I'm coming across that way. You're making me come across like an asshole and the bad kind of asshole. I'm somehow making you yes, be a worse person. Yes, your fault, Adrian. Oh, by the way, if anyone's still listening, uh, this is pretty much uh, 15 years of this right here. Yep. This is yep. it. This that, is was me in, that was me impersonating his mom. <laughs> 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 Sorry. See, now you are an asshole. So am I an asshole or am I a hero? Oh my god. Alright, I think my job is done. We can end this podcast. Uh, <laughs> enjoy your crispy burrito. Keep it that way. I don't know. As a really half-assed segue, we should trade the uh, burritos for chimichangas. Am I right, fellas? You know? The reason why you're here is not because I was tired of doing ignoring movies. Something that you've been a very huge fan of for quite a while is obviously Deadpool. And by the time this comes out, the movie will probably be out by at least a week or two. And it's no secret. It's a massive fucking hit. Mm-hmm. And I figured who better to talk to about Deadpool than a person who I think knows more about the character than I do. Adrian doesn't realize he's also breaking his streak of talented people on the show. I have no artistic ability, no story writing, no awesome story. I'm kind of boring. But anyway, I can squee about a movie. I feel bad. I'm like pulling down your average. No, but that was really cool, though, is the fact that for as long as I can remember, and especially recently with, you know, the string of Marvel movies that have come out because, you know, we're both big Marvel fans, the dialogue's usually me kind of going berserk every time, like, a trailer drops or something is announced, and you kind of being like, eh, you know, I'll watch it on, like, you know, Netflix or whatever when it comes out, and then I get angry because that's like, why aren't you more excited about shit? And then you just kind of shrug. But then, like, it's kind of been like a one-two punch between... The trailer for uh, Captain America Civil War and then, of course, Deadpool, because I think you were much more excited about that from the beginning than I was. I've been a fan of the character for a long time. The fact that they were doing a movie could have gone either way, but the the way that it was being done and who was behind it is really what made me excited. You know, I have always liked Ryan Reynolds, like even back from Two Guys, a Girl in a Pizza Place, later just Two Guys and a Girl. He was he was on that short lived sitcom and from even from that I just I thought he was one funny ass dude. You know, very kind of similar to my own sense of humor and my own style of joking, except you know, he's funny. So when I heard he was doing it, I was very excited to begin with because he, he very his personality type fits the Deadpool personality type. And then they leaked that sample tri- you know, thing they did, the fight in the car. Uh yeah. they leaked that first before anything else. And, like, that scene alone very much gave you the feeling of, like, they have the idea right. You know, because they open with him sitting on the ledge. I don't think he was... Was he listening to that song? No, I don't think so. I think there was elements of the test footage and then put into the movie, but it wasn't, like, a shot-for-shot recreation. Right. Right. So, anyway, I mean, from the fact that he's sitting there listening on his little radio, too, I think think it was Push It!, but whatever it was, so he falls down, and then there's the and then there's the ridiculous car fight scene, which was like you said, it was longer in the sample footage, and that along with Ryan Reynolds that still did the voiceover for that, and it was spot on. And so from that point, I was like, okay, if this is what they're going to be allowed to do, it'll be awesome. And then and then the next big thing where it really kind of was like, okay, now I'm really excited is when they announced that it was going to be rated R. That they weren't going to force it PG-13 because you can't do a PG-13 Deadpool movie. If they did that, I wouldn't even have seen it, honestly. Yeah, and that's kind of the significant thing with this is because, as we'll get into later on, that rating kind of held a lot of weight because we've heard that narrative for the last you know five years where all these comic book movies are coming out, and especially the ones from Marvel because I know DC's now they're kind of starting to, to push their product out, but Marvel was the dominant movie making them and Fox, and... The, the constant dialogue I heard was the fact that it's always like these PG-13 and with the exception of some movies, it's relatively clean, kind of safe. There's no real risks being taken and they're very formulaic. And while there were a couple of movies in the last uh, couple of years, well, I know Watchmen was one. Um, I think there was another, but I can't remember which one it was. But basically nothing overly popular or at least for a huge studio was really being greenlit as rated R. So when Deadpool got that rating... 
it's like, wow, you're surprised that they were willing to take risks. But I guess that's the one thing about sucking for so long in terms of Fox, where after kind of so many diminished returns in a way, they were just kind of went for broke and it's like, shit, let's just make this movie. And also kudos to Ryan Reynolds for really, you know, keeping on them about that because ever since Wolverine Origins came out, everybody was like, that movie was trash, but yet Ryan Reynolds as Wade Wilson was one of the best things about that movie. Right. Even though he's like sewed his mouth shut and he was bald and had optic, I don't know what the hell happened at the end of the movie, but yet people remembered his performance and he really pushed for a very long time about getting this movie made. Like it was really, I think that's what it is. It was less of just a movie that he was a good fit for than it was almost like a labor of love. Mm -hmm. Like he just got it. I can't even get over the fact that this got made, let alone how entertaining it was. I think it's kind of was one of those, it almost had to be because what got it made in the first place is what proved that it was going to be good. Does that make sense? Like you said, to push for this movie to be made and made as an R and and to have the studio behind it, the studio knowing that as an R movie, they're giving up first and foremost toy rights. You know, second, yeah. it's an R rated movie. You, you can't commercialize and sell the shit out of it the way you can the movies PG or PG 13. You sell toys, you, you sell shit to McDonald's or Burger King or whatever, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you make money off that too. I know we had that discussion on, on the episode of Ignoring Movies whenever we post that one, but <laughs> look for that in 2020. <laughs> we had had the whole thing where this was never going to be that movie like this wasn't and yeah deadpool is on a couple of like the disney uh, you know avengers cartoons or whatever but yet this character in this form was never going to be marketed to kids and it was never going to be like in happy meals or things like that so i think they kind of at least had some knowledge of that coming in but that's what i'm saying but you get fox to not to not only give up that but to give a risk just in general that what you're telling me is you're going to make an R-rated movie that's primarily a comedy, and you want to spend what on it? If you're looking at that as an executive, there are so many ways that that's doomed to fail, You know, especially because being a comic book movie, you may disenfranchise some people who would otherwise see an R-rated comedy, but they see a comic book movie, so they go, I'm not seeing that. Anyway, so all that aside, to push that through, to have that much passion about the movie that you're willing to put up against that adversity to get the movie made – I think it almost has to be good because you can't be that impassioned and love something and put out a bad product. I would argue the X-Men movies, but I think that's more of a personal gripe. Do you think the same passion and love was brought to the X-Men movies that Ryan Reynolds and, and the other guys who were involved in the Deadpool project brought to that? When you put it that way, yeah, absolutely. It's really one of those flash in the pan things because even with so many other projects that whether it be an actor, director, what have you, is so impassioned to do, the odds of those movies even getting made... Mm -hmm. Without really much in a way of past success, kind of, you know, being a selling right. point, that rarely happens. Absolutely. And that's Absolutely. what's crazy about it. And the fact that it, the decision happened is amazing enough. But yeah, so I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not that surprised. I'm, I'm very happy that I, that I put, that I was correct. You know, I've put my faith in movies or, or projects before that have flopped or just, not even flopped, but haven't been as good as I hoped. You know, this, this really did, this this hit the nail on the head, you know, because, um, again, I, I kind of what you were saying, how he's popped up on like as, as a guest spot in the Avengers things. And he's and I, I know he's popped up in like X-Men and other comics. I have no problem if you tone him down for those things because he's entering another realm, yes. entering a realm that is more kid centric. So, yeah, tone him down, make him more of a wisecracker, you know. That's good at karate, but doesn't really use the katanas or isn't really hyper violent and isn't hyper dirty. But he's still a wisecracker. He's the sarcasm. He's the Raphael of the group, for lack of a better way. Say it, you know? That's fine. But if you're going to label it Deadpool, you have to embody the spirit of the character. And I think they did that movie completely in that movie. Everything from. Yeah. From breaking the fourth wall, you know, obviously the, the sarcasm and the, the, the way he talked, but also even the fact that all the characters were kind of in the Deadpool lens. Like Colossus, the personality that Colossus had in that movie is clearly the way Deadpool sees Colossus. <laughs> most of the that De yeah, Deadpool sees Colossus most of the X-Men. That's his view of them. That's like the Deadpool lens. 
that is something I never thought of before. And that's wow. That's I didn't even think about that until you said it, that you're really seeing all these characters, you know, from his viewpoint where, yeah, Colossus is really not that guy. Right. He isn't he isn't the Hulk Hogan, uh, you know, take your vitamins and drink your milk. But that's what he was, because the whole movie, Deadpool is joking around about the fact that he sees all heroes like that and all all of the, you know, the quote unquote superheroes like the X-Men and the other people that are constantly there as goody two shoes flag wavers. So, of course, Colossus is going to sound like that. And that's what I like. And if you read a Deadpool book, you know, Thor sounds even more archaic in his language and everything else and very much grunty. All the characters do. When he's talking to other characters, there is a little almost like a caricature of them, slight, in the sense that you're kind of – and I, this is the way I always took it. He's throwing it, seeing it through the Deadpool lens. You know, because if he knows it's a book, he knows that he has an audience right now. Why wouldn't he also show you his view of them or how what he <laughs> what you know, it's almost like he's creating his own world. This is the way I've always right. read the comic. He's always creating his own world or at least putting his shade on it, which is clear by the fact that he's he's talking to you. So in a sense, you almost get he, he's telling the story. Right, exactly. And yeah. that's what makes him so much fun, because it's not just even a matter of him breaking the fourth wall to make fun of what's going on. But, yeah, you're right. It's you're seeing everything as he would. And that's really what makes the character endure. And I think that's something that I think is his detractors as far as the character is concerned. I don't think some people realize that's really what's so amusing about Deadpool is he he can sometimes be the voice of the reader who, you know, you're reading a comic book. Things are clearly not in like in any sort of realm of realism. And it's all very just, (laughs) you know, it's completely ridiculous outlandish settings. But yet Deadpool really just serves as that voice of saying, hey, isn't it just odd how in this comic where we're, you know, fighting crime, there's a guy who wears like, you know, a bucket with wings on his head and he speaks like, you know, he's from the -hmm. Old Testament. You know, it's just at some point you have to just sort of point these things out for what they are. And that's what's great about the character. It's not just him making fart jokes, but yet. There's that sort of levity to it where, hey, we all know that this stuff isn't, you know, real. It's very kind of just out there. But yet you can have fun now that you don't have to pretty much have to make things fit into this neat little puzzle. Right. Even in the way that the character came to be, if I understand correctly, is that he was made as a farce on Deathstroke from the DC world. Right. It wasn't really until later on when he kind of got his own title and, you know, the later runs that mm-hmm. they kind of really went, you know, full throttle on the humor. But yet, you're right. He was kind of a riff on Deathstroke, but as well as Spider-Man, where, you know, Spider-Man's thing is constantly, you know, riffing with the villains as kind of a means to distract them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, he just sort of talked a lot. Like, the, the humor, like, the excessive humor came later on, but yet, early on, he just would not shut up. Okay, so he was more annoying. But th- that didn't that also, to counterbalance the fact that Deathstroke, like, never talked? So in a lot of ways, he was just kind of like the polar opposite, and then he became the character he was. But just but just the fact that he was created as a, you know, almost like negative of one of DC's characters, a clear reaction. Like, that in itself says something to me. Like, it, it's kind of like a stick in your, like, the character is inherently sticking its tongue out at the world. Like from his birth. So the, you know, and then whatever, you know, that if all the other dialogue came later and the fact that he was sarcastic and all these other things, but they all just kind of fit that aura that was him. And I think the movie did it very well. You know, if you hadn't figured out at this point out, we're going to be talking about the movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, you should stop listening because I'm probably going to ruin some points. Um, so or <laughs> the short version spoilers, I guess. My biggest gripe with the movie of it being un-Deadpool-esque is the ending. And the only reason I say that is because it was really Deadpool. As they were about to kiss, someone would like blew her head off. Because that is what really is his life, which is the most, which is the most awful part about Deadpool is the fact that nothing goes right for that dude. He finally finds out he has a wife and a kid or a, a kid with a woman that he was loved long ago and the kid's dead. Yeah. like, And that's something that doesn't really come off a lot too i think to people where yes deadpool can be very funny it can be very sarcastic but especially in you know like let's say if we're referring to the doug and posein run whereas 
there was some ridiculous humor in that book. But yet, there was it was usually punctuated by some really dark moments. It got very dark and very real and really spoke to the Deadpool, the character, and why he is who he is. You know, you really much see that that humor is re- real defense mechanism more than anything else. They essentially gave the character a lot of depth that I don't know if he had before. I will be honest. I've always liked the spirit of the character, but I was very... I did not read much of the older stuff. I just love the character, honestly, from all of my experience in video games and whatnot. Um, it was only recently that I started to read. I read the post-Saint, the, the latest run when basically Posein picked it up. I read through their stuff. I just have to finish the last few discs, but that's really all I've been, uh, all I read. I have to go back and read the Deadpool cable stuff, I think. Which is another great run. Again, it's that juxtaposition of having a character like Deadpool, but then have him meet against this very gruff soldier mm-hmm. from the future who all he knew was war and, you know, very matter of fact, but then having him interact with somebody who might as well just be like his idiot younger brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yet through it all, they're, they're both soldiers at the end of the day. Right. And when Deadpool needs to get serious, um, if that means anything to anybody else, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, he'll get the shit done. It's just how he carries it out is so different than what Cable does. Right. You're right in the sense that all of it is kind of a strategy when you think about it. You know, you were saying how uh, he just kept talking to almost distract them. How distracting and disarming is it if you have a guy that's this much of an asshole? You see him being this much of an asshole. You don't think <laughs> I have a- no idea what that would be like. <laughs> you know, don't think that he'd be able to wield a katana the way he would the way he would be able to. You know, he's making some snark comment about like the Spice Girls. You know, you don't expect the fact that you're about to literally get a slice between the second and third vertebrae. <laughs> Ooh, getting like hyper specific with your murder. Exactly, right? exactly, because it's high up, baby. <laughs> I guess it's weird that aspect of his personality is very unbelievable, considering that his origin itself is very dark. I mean, it's not. Like, you know, oh, he got blown up by, like, you know, a, a radioactive clown or something all of a sudden. <laughs> you know, it's not, like, it's it's not very funny. It's really dark. It's funny in, in that even his origin story has, like, that Greek tragedy kind of feel to it. You know, in that be careful what you wish for type thing. You know, he mm-hmm. went into the program and, and essentially is what he is right now because he went into the program looking to cure his cancer. You know, he had no other options. So, of course, you follow the creepy guy from Galaxy Quest. Because <laughs> that guy's never not weird. I don't think it's possible to not be weird if you have that face. He looks forever surprised. But it's in that weird, it's almost sinister. Like, if you were someplace and you were on the elevator and he walked in, this guy could be, like, the sweetest dude ever. Like, you know, he'd, like, show you pictures of his family and he'd, like, offer, you know, the... I don't know, take you out for like a couple of drinks. He'd be really cool. But then it's like, as soon as you turn and look and he'd greet you and be like, ah, oh God, don't, don't kill me. I have a family. Please don't, don't kill me. And they're like, what? what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, see, I was thinking it would go the other way around. Like he's showing you pictures of his family. As you take a closer look, he hits you in the neck with like a little needle that knocks you out. <laughs> wow. So you really just went full tilt on that, huh? I call him like I see him. Oh man. But yeah, it's just, you're, you're absolutely right though about the ending. And that's something that I really want to get into tonight because we've been talking about it very briefly over the course of the last few days. As much as it's such a bizarre, almost miracle that this movie got made in the first place, it's very interesting because I have this filter and I don't know, maybe it's just me and my, you know, being hyper opinionated about things, but... It's hard to watch movies now where I focus on certain aspects and then I wonder, okay, how much of what I'm seeing is the original vision? How much of this is the studio's vision? And Mm. some movies have it better than others. And I know as far as comic book movies, Age of Ultron, as much as I love that movie, was very much a clear case of that. Of how much of this was Joss Whedon and how much of this was Marvel basically being like, okay, we need to hit on these things so that way we can set up the next several movies. And you're absolutely right about the ending, which you're right. At the end of the movie, he would have not gotten the girl back. No, if it, if it was true to the Deadpool spirit. Now, I also understand why they did it from a movie standpoint. I don't think you can do that to a movie audience. You know, by the time they started to get that dark about Deadpool, you knew the character while you felt for the character. It was time to give him depth. You know, it's only recently that it's been that tragic. Before that, you really didn't know anything about his life. You know, he was just a, a 
snark who, you know, like to kill people. So all that being said, you know, I think it's only relatively recently after we've had years. I think if you, by the second movie you did something like that to grip people into the third or into some kind where he's going to be featured in a larger movie, anything like that. Maybe it would happen in the second movie. Oh, so you think it's kind of like Austin Powers, where at the end he gets Vanessa. Then in like first like five minutes of the second movie, they you know it turns out the character is a thin body. The convenient <laughs> workaround, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, we knew about that all along. Sadly, it's like, wait, what? Yeah, why did you let me marry? Oh, I think that movie needed to end that way because it was just too funny and too good. I see why they did it. Now, like I said, in the second movie. Yeah, in the second movie where something like that happens to set up a third where he's really out for vengeance, you know, give the character some depth after people have had two movies to get to know and love Deadpool. I think that's when mm-hmm. you do it. Yeah, that is a good point. You know, and that's and that's only because, like, you know, my opinion based on getting to know the character for years and then finally, you know, showing that there's dimension. You can't be that funny and then get that dark. Because then that sets almost like a tone of that's who this character is. So people are going to be afraid to laugh the second fucking movie. <laughs> oh, I'd probably. Oh, and speaking of um, too scared to laugh. No, because this movie was full of those moments where I think it's like Eileen and I, like we laughed way too hard at certain things. And I realized I was laughing too hard and other people weren't. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then other people would then pick up after the fact, like, OK, one person laughed. So I'm not as uncomfortable as I was I, originally. It was really awesome. What's funny is I think this is that movie is another case of having to be creative with your storytelling because of a lack of budget. She was telling me that she read that towards the end of the filming of the movie, Fox was still so nervous about it being an R rating and that it wasn't going to make enough money that they forced him to cut the budget a couple million dollars. And that's the reason that Deadpool forgets his guns in both scenes is because (laughs) – because of the budget cuts, they couldn't afford the big, you know, big balls out gunfight that they wanted to do. But that wouldn't have been Deadpool anyway. That's kind of what I was thinking was I'm glad that they did that. And look, I don't know. I didn't read the article myself. So maybe there I'm missing something. Maybe, you know, this is a per, this is me reiterating what I was told. So at this point, I may be completely fucking up this story. But if it, if the way it was relayed to me is right, I'm glad, you know. It felt more like him to go around with the katanas almost as kind of like, a, oh, this will be fun. Yeah, and it was also set up a really great running gag with um, his cab driver and all, not yes. only the fact that he kept losing his guns, but also this really dark subplot. That was the part that I laughed at and no one else did, where he find out that the cab driver. He was in the cab. He was, yes. Oh, shit. That's how that that's how that second movie has to end, by the way. So we, we left that cab driver who basically just got arrested, right? Because he's got a guy yeah. tied up in his trunk after rear after running into somebody. Okay, so Which I'm pretty sure the guy's dead at this point. <laughs> I say, <laughs> Deadpool breaks him out of prison. Be like, Mister Pool, what are you doing? I'm sa- breaking you out of prison. But why? I need a ride. <laughs> Or it turns out he actually does get out after a certain amount of time, and he's like an Uber driver now or something. Uh-huh. Oh, you are getting five stars, my friend. Nice job. <laughs> Don't leave with the guns this time. Oh, man. But yeah, between that and the counting the bullets scene, how awesome was that scene? That was gold, and that's something that – that's almost kind of right up there with like – I don't know, like a Guy Ritchie kind of like mm-hmm. you know snatch type moment. Like yes. it was just so well done because that whole time I'm like, I know I'm going to like this, but I mean how good is it going to be? And then at most turns, it's like, damn, I was not expecting that. I mean I expected it to be funny. Like I said, I know what Ryan Reynolds' comedic style is, and I knew what he was looking for. But yeah, the, the way they, the, some of the direction otherwise, as far as the action scenes and the way they played through things, really, that was where it was like, okay, I'm glad. Because again, it was a way that to highlight Deadpool the character in a way that I think was true to the, you know, you could see them doing something similar in him doing counting the bullets sit in the comic now the way it was shot was very moving comic it wouldn't translate to panel but it it also wasn't exactly full reality the way that you know that was slowed down you have the shells bouncing through and everything else a lot of that has to do a lot with the fact that tim miller i mean you know talk about you know miracle stories i mean this was his first 
major film. Like, And before that, though, he's an animator. Right. And a, a visual effects artist. And that was clear throughout the whole movie because I'm like, a lot of the special effects shots were so well done. And it's like, you can't do those unless you have a key knife for that sort of thing. Right. Going back to especially the bullet segment. Right. I agree completely. That's a good pairing to carry an action movie. Comedic writing along with visual styling. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Been like I don't know. I have to really check who wrote it though. Two writers actually: um, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. Um, Rhett Reese was a writer on Zombieland. Right, they both were. They wrote it together, I believe. Oh, did they? Yes. Oh, that should have. Yes, that's wow. What if it I was. knew that beforehand, I definitely would have been more excited about that because that's really one of my favorite movies in the last couple of years. Yeah, they wrote a couple of good things. Give me a second. I'm bringing it up. Zombieland was definitely one of them. And that's part, that was another thing that when I saw that, I got really excited because that was, again, very funny movie and, and well written funny, not just like slapsticky, like cheap humor funny. Cause I'll laugh at that. Don't get me wrong. But to do that character justice, you have to be a little undercut. Yeah. Your jokes have to be a little bit more thought out, multi layered. Even like his dick jokes were. <laughs> I was, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you intended that to. It, it was just like, I know what you were saying, but I don't know. I was like, not really like focused. And then all of a sudden his dick jokes. I'm like, wait, who's dick jokes? Like, wait, what? Who's dick? <laughs> <laughs> I just got. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's not apologies to you. It's just me because I, I'm a five-year-old. So, you know, I, I focus on certain things and they're just overly funny to me. And I just giggle like an idiot. Oh, that was the other thing they wrote together. And you know what? Let's not talk about that. Oh, yeah. I saw that. And I'm like, wow. Um, you know, not for nothing, though. If we learned anything from Ben Affleck and Jan Silent Bob Strike Back, it's, you know, first you did a safe movie, then you did an art movie. I guess that's true. I guess the fact that they were willing to do G.I. Joe retaliation kind of gave them the, uh, like, oh, yeah, go do Deadpool. You'd fit that but movie. For, <laughs> but not for nothing, no. Like, that movie was supposed to be a much bigger deal. I think that was supposed to have come out the same summer as The Avengers, which ah. I think people knew it was going to be successful, but I don't think they knew it was going to be, like, the number one movie in America for four weeks straight. Right. All of a sudden, I think the, um, the studio freaked out. They pulled G.I. Joe out of the rotation for the summer, claiming they needed to, like, you know, upscale it for 3D and do some reshoots and put in more spots for uh, Channing Tatum because, well, they basically killed him in, like, the first 10 minutes of the movie. Right, and then he got hot. Yeah, and that's <laughs> and maybe that worked in his favor because maybe if he did more of that movie, he wouldn't have gotten more work. I don't know, but he dodged the bullet on that one. I'll just leave it at that. But I can't blame him because, I mean, that's kind of a high-ish profile movie. And that was probably money in the bank. So, But again, it doesn't make sense because considering that movie's lack of box office success or at least lack of any positive buzz, nobody should have gotten to work on this movie that did. <laughs> all things considered, that's not a slant on their talent at all, but it's one of those flash-in-the-pan moments that I think it'll be hard to reproduce. You know what? I think the hardest thing to do is to introduce the character in a way that was entertaining who knew him already and wanted to see a good Deadpool and establishing the character for an audience that knows him for no other reason than as the guy on screen. I think they did that. And I think they're, uh, from what I understand, there are some people who are criticizing the plot is formulaic. I think that's kind of only been the only complaint about it. And I'll agree it is. It's very kind of like, you know, guys down on his luck you know, kind of given up and then he's given the will to live to save his girl and it comes through in the end and she loves him despite whatever negative things, you know, that kind of thing, the, that whole idea. Yeah. But the whole idea of this first movie was to introduce him, give you an idea of who Deadpool was, how he started and what motivates him and why he is and how he is. So now that you know the character, now that you can now, because remember, you only have two hours to do this. So to try to do that while developing a very deep, rich, intricate storyline is going to be very hard. Now that you have Deadpool, you can now, now that you have him as a character, you have it and you've established a world. Now, fuck when you bring in Cable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Keira Knightley. Cable, 2017. <laughs> and that was something that I loved too, which, I mean, the, the Ferris Bueller riff was gold in and of itself up to the point where he's like even wearing like the same bathroom. Mm -hmm. But the fact that going back to sort of punching holes in the formula of like you know, the post credit scene where he basically just tells you what they're planning anyway. Mm -hmm. 
And I was online yesterday, and because of course the all the articles are still coming in about Deadpool, but one of them was post credit scene explained. Because you know every time there's a comic book movie out, they always have to do like these articles mm-hmm. that explain to the non, I guess, readers of comic books right. as to what it means. But I'm like, wait, what? Well, there. I mean, there are a lot of people who have no idea who Cable is. So that, that, that so that whole thing, and there are probably a lot of people who miss the reference to Ferris Bueller. That has to be explained. If you, I no, would, I honestly, I didn't catch it until you just said it to me. I was like, oh yeah. Oh. So, look, I get what you're saying, but not as many people are savvy as you. So some of us do need ex- explanation. That It totally has nothing to do with the fact that these websites are just trying to bait people into clicks for advertising dollars on whatever's hot right now. Or maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe it's someplace <laughs> in the middle. I don't know. That's just my thought. This is the very stereotypical question. Where do you go from here? I mean, they've kind of already hinted at the fact that they're going to be introducing cable in some format in this movie maybe Kira knightley will show up in some that capacity amazing even if they do something where they do dimensional jumps and in one dimensional they run into a female cable and it's Kira knightley with whited out hair it's just one dimension even if she's on the movie for like 10 minutes and then flips out just as a reference back to that yeah that's what it is it's self-referential right lots of callback jokes and that'd be that'd be comedic gold and it would also be something that'd be really fucking funny how funny would that be they blip in and they're like and then, and it's just Deadpool because Deadpool's like searching dimensions for the real cable, for his cable, so that they can go back and do whatever. This is what it is. I don't know if this would fly. I'm going to pitch it anyway. Okay, so this is what they do. They do that. He's, he's flipping through fl- and he's jumping in universes because he knows kind of where he is, but he can't track him down. And one of them, he lands in and he walks into the camp. He's like, I'm looking for cable. Tell him it's Deadpool. And then the camera pans over as Kira Knightley with white hair and the glowing eye turns around and goes, I'm Cable. Who the hell are you? And, they, and then Deadpool just stares. And then what you could write, what could you do at that point with, with Deadpool's mouth and the fact that Cable, the guy he's been fighting with for however many years, is a chick now? <laughs> it's very refreshing, but it's also very frightening that at this point, the world is their oyster because... With Deadpool, you have the utmost freedom to do a lot of things you could not do in other movies. Right. The fact that Cable is a time-traveling character. Oh, my God. You want to talk convoluted storyline? How much time you got? (laughs) I don't think we can even record until Tuesday. (laughs) But, yeah, like, that that storyline is nuts, and it doesn't make any sense because it's like Scott and Gene's kid as a baby was given a virus in, in order to save his life their daughter from the future had to take him into her time to save him but then there's war and he comes back and he's this grizzled veteran with a robot arm and he's older than his father and then it turns out he's got a clone who's trying to kill him and oh god oh, don't make now, me explain it. i love it but it's power i know he gets the glowy eye but what is it is it a kinetic is it a kinetic power like m bison m bison bishop <laughs> you know why i do that you know why i do that because of the m on his face oh no that's just a brand no no i know was a i know what it is for some reason I, I see that m and then i go okay it's a b word so bison comes out my mind is weird when i'm stoned Huh, who would have thought? But anyway. <laughs> no, okay. it's it's uh, telepathy and telekinesis. Oh, it's telekinetic. Okay, cool. <laughs> Remember the sound on Fox anytime anything mutiny happened? <laughs> yes. That was the greatest sound effect. Are you kidding me? Like, I need that to be my notification sound now. You should search Zedge for X-Men cartoon shit happening sound. I think you can find something. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but this is where... I am a little scared, though, because we've seen this happen many times in Hollywood. A movie is made, and it's a movie that you never thought would get made. And again, everybody's nervous because, unfortunately, now you can't really make a movie without it being almost analyzed, like an hour before, you know, game day on, like, Sunday football, where everybody's kind of sitting around a bunch of pundits who are like, well, this is what we think's going to happen, and there's a bunch of analysts, everybody's trying to figure out how much money they make, because if it does make a lot of money, there's going to be a sequel greenlit, so on and so forth. But Deadpool came out against all odds. It became this massive hit and it just now became the what the the most highest grossing R-rated movie 
Or it's definitely one of like the highest grossing R-rated movies. Uh, highest gross opening weekend. That much I can tell you. I, I don't know but, about grossing in general yet, but we can check that too, couldn't we? Um, Deadpool has highest grossing R-rated opening of all time. Now, but what about um, highest grossing R-rating movie? Oh, you mean just in terms like, of... Totally yeah, that's probably... Top gross at box office, let's see. Passion of the Christ, oh, $370 million. Deadpool's already 19th on the list. So, okay, so it's only, it's opening. Obviously, it didn't hit the no, top of the No, Lifetime Gross. Lifetime Gross. Wait, pa- The Passion was rated R? Yep. That's actually somehow more surprising than Deadpool. Yeah, and then American Sniper second with $350 million. Really? Yep. Um, Deadpool oh. at 19th is 172 and all it's been is an opening weekend. I feel like the audience that wanted to see this movie, most of it saw it already. Do you feel that way? Yeah, and it's definitely a movie that once it hits the home video on demand circuit, oh, this movie is gonna be like a, a dorm room staple for a very long time. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Now, the studio that was so nervous about whether or not it would do well can easily do that spin that some of these studios do when movies that didn't have a lot of strong buzz at first get famous and then they kind of do it where it seems like they had calculated the whole time like they just knew that somehow in their heart of hearts that you know they would prevail and this would be this great movie and it almost sucks because now we have already kind of pitched ideas of what would be great for a sequel but now that it's our now that it's successful I feel that the studio may then turn and try to input what they feel made it successful as opposed to just what was. Right, they're going to try to get to studio and handsy with it and force kind of like, hey, well, you got to put this thing in. And my only hope is this. This movie got made because of the passion of the people who wanted to get it made. I only hope that if those people stay involved... The movie should stay the same because I don't see them accepting any other thing. Right. You know, especially given how well received, regardless of how well the movie did, how well received the movie was, how happy the fans were with it. I don't see this creative team allowing anything less than a acceptable sequel. I, you know, because sometimes it's hard to hit that second movie in the same way, because I think part of what a lot of people like about Deadpool is they were surprisingly happy about how well the character came across. So you, right. it's a little bit of shock or a little bit of you no know, pleasant surprise where the second movie is kind of like watching a horror movie for the second time. Some of the effect is worn off. Like some of the shock factor of his jokes are kind of be kind of worn off because, well, that's what Deadpool is. Not saying not saying by me, but I'm saying you're going to need something else to make the to make the movie seem better and that you're not doing the same thing. So all that rambling aside, essentially what I'm saying is I don't see that the creative team that was involved in this allowing a, a less than good product to be put out again, because at this point that they have too much pride in how well accepted at this point, they've I don't see them allowing people who supported this movie who came out to see this movie the fans of deadpool to be disappointed right but i felt the same way but then you sent that article to me the one from james gunn oh okay okay well i don't know if i necessarily read that as they're gonna fuck around with the deadpool movie because he didn't say anything about them fucking around with guardians 2 did he no i think it's just more of what this success often represents you know, like I said, it's about Hollywood kind of missing the mark and not realizing what made a movie like Deadpool so okay. special. But then I guess what he was lamenting on is Hollywood learning the wrong lessons. Right. And how many trailers were kind of modeled after what they did with Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Where, and I mean, he flat out said it the best where, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy is another comic book uh, Marvel property that kind of like Deadpool, I mean, definitely has his fans, but not a lot of people knew about. Mm-hmm. But what James Gunn and the rest of the, the cast and crew made is very against type in terms of comic book movies or just movies in general. I guess irreverent is the right word, but just how lucid was with its premise. And a lot of that, of course, with the the fact that, you know, the, the leader of this ragtag band of misfits walks around the Walkman and, you know, listens to like, you know, 70s and 80s pop songs mm-hmm. while fighting aliens. And yet every trailer since then has kind of been that same thing where it used to be that Inception sound. Yeah. Which I fucking I'm so tired of the trailers with that sound. But now it's the let's take a very well known pop song, slow it down or speed it up, depending on the type of movie 
I shit you not, like, if you watch most trailers for things like major movies, it always features some popular song, and I noticed, like, at least in two movie trailers, in Suicide Squad, and what's this other one, Hardcore Harry, where, you know, they've used Queen songs. Okay. Something's done, it gets popular, so, of course, that success gets emulated, ignoring what made it popular to begin with. And already they're mulling over the idea of the third Wolverine movie being rated R. Right. One could argue they should have been doing that to begin with because, well, Wolverine, much like Deadpool, um, is a character that you can kind of get away with doing that. Right. But much like the rating didn't hinder it, it wasn't the only driving force behind the success. Right. But yet every time a movie gets made that's rated R, there's always a shock like, wait, you made a movie that's rated R, but then it's successful, and it's like, oh, this R-rated sequel, or there's this surprise that, hey, you mean people went to go see this movie that had this rating? And like, it had nothing to do with the rating, it just looked, it looked, just looked good. Right. People will go see your movie if it's entertaining, or there's a good enough buzz around it. Here's an idea, stop worrying about the rating and just allow a movie to be made, and then go from there. I understand that's not a real world thing, but I get what you're saying. And it was what I, I think what Don was saying is they pick all of all the superficial things that are easy to repeat because at the end of the day, what people like about that kind of stuff is it was original. And this is, I think, almost verbatim what he said is it was original. It's something people haven't seen before. It was genuine. It was made because people who genuinely enjoyed the characters and genuinely enjoyed the story made it. It wasn't because there were pop songs or because there was extra violence, you know, or the raccoon carried a big gun or he had a baby hand. You know what I mean? None of that <laughs> shit mattered. It was the fact that th those were original thoughts and, and things that people hadn't seen before and were just genuinely good because they were made, you know, by people who really got it. But that's not the world we live in because, unfortunately, everything, at least in terms of movies, it's entertainment. But again, it's there to make money. And I get that. And I'm not necessarily saying that they should be completely against making money because as much as we love art and we, you know, we love cinema and things like that, from a company standpoint, they want to stay afloat. So I'm not even necessarily mad that they want to make money, but yet not everything needs to kind of be trickled down into market research or patterns and things of that nature. And hopefully there won't be much interference in what the Deadpool sequel could be. But on the, on the plus side, though, is that the fact that this was successful means that we get another shot at this. Like we won't have to go through, you know, really dumb save Deadpool hashtag campaigns trying to get another one made like it should hopefully already be on its way. My only fear is that they're talking about the budget being much bigger and all this kind of stuff. They made jokes about the tight budget. My fear is they throw up too much money at the movie. And again, I'm trusting in the fact that the people who are behind this really love the character and want to see it well represented. So I'm trusting that they're going to do it justice. Mm -hmm. But still, there's there's a part of me, you know, I've seen that happen in money. You know, you throw too much money at a movie and they're almost like, all right, well, we have money to spend. What do we do with it? Then you get giant hyper explosive gun scenes that may be fun. But at the end of the day, I feel like it's more Deadpool to go after a group with a katana just because it's like, ah, fuck it. Let's have some fun. That's where my concern is, is that with money, you don't have to be creative because you just throw money at everything. That is a very valid point, too. However, though, I will say. If nothing else, Fox should thank the creators of Deadpool because, in a way, it almost validated the X-Men franchise. Right. As much as those movies make money, they're kind of in this just weird limbo where, yeah, they're coming out, they're making money, people are still liking it, but no one's really thinking much in the way of the X-Men. They are the comic book movie equivalent to just kind of like, oh, all right, it's better than nothing, I guess. But it doesn't rock your socks the way, like, the Marvel franchise has been doing. Yeah. The X-Men movies always do well because the X-Men property and people love Wolverine. But at the end of the day, they wanted to be, I think, more critically successful. And that's something that the X-Men movies just, I mean, the, the last couple have gotten more so, but still kind of a, you know, not, nothing great. But, hey, it's better than nothing. They could be doing worse. And I think they're moving in the right direction with the X-Men movies. But yeah, I agree with you completely. Now, this Deadpool, as part of the X-Men, have been like, hey, look, we can do this. 
I think they're more apt to see now. The, unfortunately, though, I think the apocalypse already feels like it's going to swing back more towards the way it was, which is that very somber tone. And I get why you do an, an X-Men movie as a somber tone, but there's always a layer of humor in every one of the Marvel movies that reminds you it's still a comic book movie. Yeah, and maybe it'll just teach the, the creators of the X-Men movies, you know, lighten up. Have a, now, you don't have to be as completely insane as the Deadpool franchise. Like, that's kind of its own thing, right. but... Have some fucking fun with your movie a little bit. Right. Get a little bit more humor in, you know, have some great moments. Like the Quicksilver scene in Days of Future Past mm-hmm. kind of proved that where you took this guy with this power. Okay, he's super fast. What can you really do with him? But that whole bit where, you know, he's going so fast and everything slowed down mm-hmm. and, you know, okay, the Tim Croce song was a little too on the nose for my liking, but the idea of kind of him setting up the scene, like, you know, he's turning the bullets, right. he's punching this guy in the face, he's turning things that way. So then once it goes back in real time, it's like everybody just drops. Like, and it was this great, fun scene. But also gave you a real representation of the character. It really gave you an idea of, okay, this is how fast this dude moves. That he can do all of this before any of those people move at all. Wow. But it was still, it was funny the way they did it. And that was it. You're right. That was a very good scene of what you could do. And I think that's why I said they're moving in the right direction. Singer, right? He's, is he the one doing it? Yeah. He's done most of them, if I remember correctly. He's done one, two, and then Days of Future Past. He skipped a bunch of them. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about the way he does a movie. I just, I don't dig it. I mean, whatever. Say what you will, but I just, man. No, I'm not a fan of his. You know, I'm not saying he's bad or anything. He's just not, not my cup of tea. You know so. what it is? It's the matter of, in was that 2000, late 90s, when they filmed X-Men? Uh-huh. That was at a time where, you know, it was post-Blade. And I think in a way, maybe we were a little cynical at the time where in the first X-Men movie, they made jokes about the yellow spandex. Right. Fast forward to 2016, Negasonic Teenage Warhead is wearing, you know, yellow spandex. Well, yellow and black, but... We've kind of come a long way in our comic book movies where seeing the characters represented more true to form is no longer that much of an issue. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, okay, the Batman movies like under Christopher Nolan, they took a more realistic approach, but at the same time, it wasn't so out of left field where, okay, you can have people wear these outlandish costumes and it doesn't seem that bad shit insane. But right. I think the X-Men movies are still very stuck in that old way where it's like, why not have Storm, you know, rock the mohawk with like you know the letter jacket which i think they did at least give her that and psylocke um say which rule about olivia munn's portrayal of the character and what we've seen so far but at least she looks like she's wearing something more akin to the classic style and i think i don't know what costumes they have for the rest of the x-men but they look more of like those kind of very monochromatic black battle suits Mm -hmm. that are just so very boring now but it's like why can't cyclops wear his all blue you know, <laughs> with like the outfit with like, you know, the the yellow bandolier and shit. Or like, can't Jean Grey wear that orange and blue costume with like the stupid wrestling headgear? You know, it's just at this point, it's like we've seen so many movies from Marvel and even DC seems to be trying to have a little bit of fun with um Suicide Squad. I mean, I don't know how it's going to be because it hasn't come out yet, but they're still at least kind of pushing against those boxes a little bit. I think it's time for Fox and the X-Men franchise to kind of do a little bit of the same thing. Have some fucking fun with your movies, Dan. Yeah, I think you kind of hit it. Because the whole thing about the yellow suits, and it was kind of funny, but at the same time, it was like, it was almost like that guarded comic book fan. You know, the guy who feels like he has to be on edge that he likes comics instead of just being like, yeah, I like what I like, whatever. Yeah. That's almost what it felt like. It was like, yeah, we're a comic book movie. We don't have to be all stupid. Like, well, chill. (laughs) Chill. No one said you had to be. I mean, maybe the yellow thing lo- would look good. I mean, because fast forward to 2016, and guess what? They figured out how to design Negasonic's suit in a way that seemed appropriate. And that was a great costume, and I really wish they would use those for the later X-Men right. movies. I agree with you. It's an homage to the suit without it being a giant yellow jumpsuit. And I don't know. I mean, what, was she probably X-Factor or something? No, she was. I just found this out because she was a character from a run that I despised. Uh-huh. She came from the Grant Morrison run of, I guess, X-Men, what eventually then was named New X-Men at the time. Okay. So like early to mid 2000s. 
Okay. But the combo character looks completely different than what they did here, but she was awesome, so it really doesn't matter. It was a really well-designed character, I think. And I mean that, like, in the way they dressed her, her hair, her makeup, you know, everything. You know, all that stuff was very well-designed character, and I thought it was much more on the nose of a suit than any of the X-Men movies I've seen. You know, much more like the comic, while still not being bright neon yellow suit that the comics have. Now, understanding how to take that and translate it into a real world thing that looks like it, but isn't exactly, you know, kind of the way they translated the what the Joker was wearing in Dark Knight. Yeah, uh, it's a little bit more beat up and it kind of almost made sense why he was wearing the colors because it was basically what he could get. It looks like he pulled it out of a dumpster, right? You know, but it, <laughs> but it was also not that loud, bright color that you see in the comic books. It was purple, but it wasn't purple. Now compare that to what Burton did with joker and his movie you know what i mean one of them feels grounded while still it, it tests your suspension of disbelief without asking you to jump to the moon wow that was strangely poetic thank you but it makes sense right you know what i mean like you have to be grounded someplace you could you could use the comics as your reference you don't have to be like yeah the comics are stupid the stories are cool but i don't fucking read them you can be that kind of movie if you want to, but at the end of the day, then you're not going to feel genuine and you're not going to feel like people really like you. You have to just accept what you are. You have to accept that you're a comic book movie. And every one of the Marvel movies did that. That's where I was going with all that. The Avengers, they all accepted what they were, that they were comic book movies. There was a little bit of a wink and a nudge, but a endearing one. Not one that kind of spat in the face of how, st- like, the stupid tropes of the comics. Yes, yeah, it's, it's that confidence of being true to uh, this is going to sound very schmaltzy and i guess it kind of makes sense but you know being true to yourself and whether it be the story or the characters whatever they are and even if they don't necessarily match up exactly to the comic book stuff but just have confidence to tell the story that you want to tell and that kind of crosses any sort of form of just being like having confidence in your project and i think that comes across because people at the end of the day, as much as, you know, we like to bitch and moan on like Facebook or Twitter, people kind of know quality when they see it. And that's really why Marvel's done so well. And I guess if DC ever got their shit together, they could have that success too with their movies and so on and so forth is at least having that confidence and saying, Hey, we have a quality product. We believe in this. You know, we got what we think are the correct pieces and not just what we think, you know, advertisers are going to want to see and then just make it. And Deadpool taught that lesson. This is what happens when you take your time and just make a good product and not necessarily because you think, you know, it'll hit this market or it'll tap into this market. You know, they got together and having Ryan Reynolds as a producer on the project was spoken volumes and maybe just maybe in future films of these types we can get those same kind of people behind it who are just impassioned so yeah i mean it goes without saying that deadpool was great hopefully the sequel will be great and hollywood won't necessarily fall on its own sword as it has a tendency to do every time this happens here's hoping right here's hoping yeah well man thank you so much i know this has kind of been a, a, a little bit different we're so used to having like a movie in front of us and i know we were what gonna watch robocop i know we're like so tense oh, we're at the right. final part we're at, the fi- we're at part four of four of robocop what's the subtitle of this one of Oh, Prime Directive. Prime Directive. Yes. Robocop Prime Directive is was the series. This is the fourth installment of the great Canadian miniseries based on the Robocop movies of the 80s. Yes, that's right. It was Canadian on the Science Channel, I think. Thanks for hanging out. Oh, no this problem. is this I'm has just... been strangely a lot of fun, and I'm so glad we Thanks. got to talk that. Strangely a lot of fun. So normally you don't have fun with me. I see how it is, Adrian. What a way to talk to your guests at the end of your show. <laughs> You know what I mean, damn it, because it's like this is not our normal thing. Like this is our our show is so a little bit different in this format. But fun. Is that I think is, is that what you're trying to say? Is that? Oh my god, did you get like possessed by like Joe Pesci? You think I'm a joke or something? You think I'm think I'm strange? Huh? Huh? A little weird? Huh? Huh? How about this? John, and I fuck poke your eye out with a pencil. Actually, I need to grab a step stool first, then I poke your eye out with a pencil. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't realize you were still in character, Mister Pesci. No, I'm done now. All right. Okay. So it sounds like you're trying to wrap the show up, so I should shut up, right? Sorry, I have a problem. <laughs> I was going to ask you um, if you want to name drop something or uh, promote some shit before we go. It's not like you're really online, but she's Asian jerk. Twitter takes too much attention. I'd rather play Card Wars. You know, like, I don't I don't like really have anything. Card Wars? Card Wars. It's a game on my tablet. 
I play it. Oh, Lord. It's it's based on the Adventure Time Card Wars game. It's a whole it's a whole card game. It's pretty fun. Sorry, I'm I'm a loser. Holy shit. Um. Well, that'll do it for another episode of Eighteen Has Issues, and we'll see you next issue. Have a nice fair. Oh wait, shit. Um, no, that's, wait, I did we're... that intentionally. Wait, should Fine. we? Should we? No, I wanted to do that. <laughs> I wanted to sneak it in. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm His Issues. Wait, what? Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm... Wait, wait, that's not right. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm Eileen. Tune in to the Adrian Has Issues podcast. Each week we chat with some great people. Including me from time to time. Comic book creators, comedians. Musicians and actors. Tax collectors, Zamboni drivers. (sighs) Point is, basically anyone willing to sit down for a geeky discussion or two on all things pop culture. Visit AdrianHasIssues.com where you can download and stream every episode. Especially the ones featuring yours truly. Visit Adrian Has Issues on Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave a rating and review and tell me how amazing I am. Us. I mean us. Ah, oh, McKenna, you're way cooler than I am anyway. Aw, oh, thanks, babe. Oh, and Adrian Has Issues is also a proud member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. Awesome. Nice save, Brodor. <sighs> Visit AdrianHasIssues.com.